Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I will invite you to turn to Psalm 117. And as you're flipping there, I will go ahead and warn you, I do plan to preach the whole psalm this morning. Uh, so I hope you packed your lunch uh, and your dinner. Uh, and when you get there, you'll understand why that's a joke. It's only two verses. Uh, but I will preach into its entirety. And so, and then some of you go, hey, Justin's only got two verses. We're going to get out early. And uh, it's kind of like what Jesus told his disciples, have you not been with me this long already? Uh, but anyway, Psalm 117 uh, is where we will be this morning. Uh, I'm excited about uh, the text there. And you know what I did? I forgot my notes on my desk. Ash, will you handle that for me? I think they're on the... Oh, next, just kidding, JK. I just want to get you up. <laughs> hey, everybody, this is my beautiful wife, Ashley. <laughs> I did get nervous there for a second. I'm telling you, ever since the funeral when I told you all about when I got there and I opened up my notes and it was the sermon notes from the previous Sunday, it wasn't for the funeral, but I didn't have an office nearby. I'm kind of like gunshot and I get a little... Anyway... Psalm 117, I'm sure you're there now. I do have a, a few announcements. First of all, if you're a guest with us, thank you so much uh, for being here. You should have got one of these when you came through the, the doors. If you didn't, there's some more there. There's just some announcements we have. And then on the bottom there is a, I'm new here. Uh, if you'll just fill that out, uh, give as much information as you feel comfortable. We're not going to uh, hunt you down or get your credit score or anything like that. Just uh, right there. And then on the back, there's different ways. If you just want to know more about the church or interested in small groups or uh, if you've made a decision to trust the Lord and need to be baptized or anything else, you can uh, fill that out and drop it in the offering plates uh, at the end of the service and we'll, we'll reach out to you. Uh, a couple other announcements this afternoon at 2 p.m. Uh, we're having a baby shower for Madeline Holloway. Uh, their baby boy will be here in just a few weeks. Uh, she's registered on Amazon, I do believe, and so if you please make plans to be here and love on her uh, and her baby boy this afternoon. Uh, also, uh, on July the 23rd, which is also the night of our family meeting, that day, uh, Melanie uh, Stevens and Mackenzie Wood, who own the Smash and Loaded Food Truck, have uh, generously said that they would do a lunch fundraiser for us uh, and proceeds to go to uh, the building uh, stuff. And so there are these little dudes out there in the foyer. You can take a card. Um, there's a QR code that you can scan to make, make an order, and they need orders by July the 17th to be picked up at lunch after church on July the 23rd. Everybody understand that? So there's the menu. You can do it online. Uh, and, yeah, please please do that. Also on the 23rd is our family meeting. Uh, where we're going to we'll hear from the Next Point team. We'll also, there's some church uh, structural things that we need to kind of discuss as well from the staff. But also that night, it's just not going to be a family meeting. We're also going to have... Uh, weather permitting, we'll have a fireworks show that night. Uh, and so Luke is getting to go to David Chancellor's fireworks shop uh, tomorrow and just go through. And so there's no telling what Luke's going to pick out because he's Luke. Uh, and he said, I've got it handled. Don't worry about it. So I ain't worried about it at all. Uh, kind of a little worried about it. Uh, but yeah, you give Luke a, a match and he may take care of the building force. Cut that out of the thing. Uh, on accident, we're shooting fireworks. Sorry. Things come out of my mouth sometimes before I think through it. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, so make plans to be here for that. That's at 5 o'clock uh, on July the 23rd. 
Uh, it's going to be a good night. It's going to be a fun night where we get to obviously talk about church stuff, but just be able to fellowship together and enjoy each other's company. Last announcement is also on the 27th of July is another fundraiser we've got going on. It's painting with Adam Tress at the Y. Uh, it's going to be an awesome time there. If you haven't uh, purchased your ticket for that, please do that. Also, spread the word. It's all over social media, so you can share it there. Uh, that's going to be a that's going to be a fun night. Uh, and so, anyway, Psalm one seventeen. You've gotten there by now, I think, and you see uh, that it is only two verses. And so, I'm excited about this text. And uh, uh, and and really, there's a couple a couple of just interesting facts about Psalm one seventeen. Is that obviously it's the shortest Psalm, and the, all the Psalter, uh, which makes it the shortest chapter in the whole Bible. But really cool, it is direct is the direct middle chapter of the whole Bible. And so if you were to take the Bible, it goes directly in half, you get to Psalm 117. And it's all about really how to praise the Lord for his love and his faithfulness. And it, I think it's in God's awesome wisdom how he places that in the middle of the Bible. And the, you can look in the, on the front, on, the other, on one side of that, where God's been faithful up to that point, and go to the New Testament, though he's going to be faithful all the way through. And it's directly in the middle of the whole scriptures. So that's just a cool thing. But as you see, it's a... It's a short psalm. It's not long at all. Uh, but what it lacks in length, it makes up in its potency and its reach. Uh, it says, praise the Lord, all the nations. So you have this two verses that reaches all the way to the ends of the earth. And you really see ultimately the Great Commission even inside these two, uh, two verses. It's great in faith and enormous in reach. And, and what I, kind of the lens I want us to look at this morning, and maybe it's coming on the heels of the DR team coming back, by the way, DR team, those of you here, I don't know if Daniel told you, next week, y'all are going to have an opportunity to share during Gospel Reach, and so we'll hear from the DR team next week, uh, just kind of what they did and what the Lord taught them, so you had a week to prepare. Uh, anyway, Daniel's supposed to get up with y'all on that, but uh, anyway, when we think about missions oftentimes, and this is not a bad way to think about missions, when we think about missions, our mind automatically goes to, there are people who do not know Jesus, and if they die without knowing Jesus, they go to hell, which that is obviously a, a motivation for missions. But what Psalms 117 does is it gives us a higher fuel for missions, and it's the glory of God. It's, it's that the, the praise of, of God's name will be on the tongues of all people. That it, in missions, it becomes a very God-centered mode of missions versus a man-centered mode of missions. And so what 117 does, it gives us a lens to have a ultimately higher view of why we evangelize, why we share the gospel, not just although in the ends of the earth, but even here in Jones County. And obviously we love people, but we love God even more, and we want him to receive the worship that he alone is due. And that's what Psalm 117 is going to teach us as we walk through this morning. And so let's read together. And it says Psalm 117, verse 1, Praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, or extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Your translation there for faithfulness may say truth. Uh, those are interchangeable there. But your, the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. This morning I titled this sermon, Praise the Lord, because you see it over and over again in those two verses. And so I got real catchy and crafty and wrote Praise the Lord as the title. Uh, and so uh, really two, two main points, that's all I've got this morning in, the, in this psalm. The first one is that there's a call to praise. 
And he says, praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all people. There's a call that extends outside the Jewish people to the nations. There's an invitation to the utter ends of the earth to praise the Lord. This word praise here is the word hallel, which means to shine, as in as, as, as children of, uh, of God, as, as, as his sons and daughters, we are to shine. We are to praise him. We should reveal his glory. We should praise him, all the nations. We shall shine, if you will, his glory out. And laud means to speak highly of him, to declare great things about him, to speak of him higher than anything else. So the, it gives us an invitation here. There's a call to praise, and not just Israel, but the nations. And so you see this picture going out, even here in the Old Testament. It says, all, and so there's an invitation for the whole world to praise the Lord, which sounds awesome, right? All the world praise him, all the nations. And you see the word nations, there's literally speaking of nations and all peoples, there's people groups, as in the people group, the many people group that we prayed for this morning. And this psalmist saying, you many people group, praise the Lord, extol his name, say great things about him. So just in that call to praise, there are two implications that I want to draw out this morning. And implications literally means it's not directly, it's derived from the text. As we read that, for the, for the whole world to praise the name of God, it, there's two things that apply. First of all, it implies the exclusivity of Jesus. You follow me? For the whole world, scripturally, to praise the name of God, it puts forth that Jesus is the only one only way to worship this God, to know this God, right? So there's, it's exclusive here that Jesus alone is the one mediator between God and man. So you think about it in scripture terms, what the psalmist is saying, all the nations must turn from their own gods. The Canaanites must turn from Baal and Asheroth, the Moabites from Chemosh, the Philistines from Dagon, uh, but the Babylonians from Murdoch and the Ammonites to Moloch, like turn from these gods to the one true living God. For us, turn from Allah or Buddha or Hindu gods or, or Joseph Smith, etc. Or, or you think about even, I looked up today, what are gods, what are false gods today? And ultimately, if it was crazy, is education, beauty, comfort, substances, family, even religion, sex, money, self. It says all nations praise him, which implies there must be a turning from this God to the one true God. And the only way we do that is via Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. Praise the Lord, all you nations, which means you must turn from your God to serve this God. There is one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me, church. We have to be dogmatic about that. In a world, an age of tolerance where we put our arms around all gods, as believers, we have to say there's one mediator between God and man, and it's the Lord Jesus. Like we can, we can rub shoulders and we can love on and we can be compassionate on many things, but when it comes to knowing God, there's only one way for man to be made right with God, and that is through Jesus Christ. We have to be dogmatic about that. And even today, when I've walked with young couples or young people, uh, when it comes to their relationship with the, with, with the Lord and Yes, I believe in Jesus. The question I ask him, I said, do you love Jesus enough? Do you believe in Jesus enough to say that he's the only way to God? Literally, that's one of the conversations I have these days with, you know, with teenagers and young adults is, all right, you're cool, but 
does that mean? Do you believe it enough to say that anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus doesn't know God? Ultimately, for you and I, we have to understand when this idea of praise the nation sounds great, but what that means is anybody who does not trust in Jesus does not know God. There is no other way to the Father except through him. You see, the exclusivity of Jesus. But the second thing is that we see the necessity of world evangelism and missions. Everybody with me? Right? So to, for the whole, all the nations, for all people groups to praise the name of God, we see that it's Jesus and Jesus alone. But we also see there's a necessity for us who know Jesus to go preach the gospel, to go share Jesus. How are the nations to trust and to turn? We've seen it. We, if you go through, like if you take Psalm 117, right in the middle of the Bible, and you look to the left of it, what you see is that God called a people group named Israel. And his, idea, his, his plan for Israel was to raise up this nation through one nation that the whole world would know the goodness of him. Like oftentimes we see is just obviously he just loved Israel, but there's pictures all throughout the Old Testament of Gentiles who would come in and Gentiles who would know God. And his plan was that through Israel, the, the world would be glad in their creator. But it don't take us long to walk through the, the left side of Psalm 117 to see that Israel were like little kids that didn't want to share their toys. They didn't want to share the good news. They kept it to themselves, and oftentimes they were even disobedient to that. They were lack of faith and commitment to the Lord, and no greater picture shows us that than the book of Jonah. Anybody ever read Jonah? God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh to go preach the good news, to preach repentance. And he's like, no, God, I'm not going to do it. And he goes against the ship, obviously. we Running from God, God makes a storm, he goes in the water, gets swallowed up by fish, and three days later he's thrown out on bank. And even then, he still doesn't want to preach the gospel to him. He didn't want to preach the good news to him. He didn't want them to be, have repent, have, find repentance and forgiveness. That's the picture of Israel on the left side of Psalm 117. But I'm thankful there's a right side of one Psalm 17. Psalm 117. That we get to the New Testament and we see that God says, you know what? I'm going to send my son and he's going to pay for the sins of all humanity, but through him, I'm going, to, I'm going to create a new people. It's going to be called the church. And I'm going to send that church out into the world to do what Israel couldn't do, but via the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're going to go, and they're going to proclaim the gospel of all the nations so that the nations will praise the Lord, that they will extol his name. It's the, picture, it's the story of the Bible, of God's redemption, the redemptive history. In Romans chapter 10, familiar passage, verse 14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How can they praise a name in which they have not heard? There's a necessity for evangelism. If Jesus and Jesus alone is the only way man can be made right before God, then it necessitates the fact that there has to be people to go preach this good news. And that's how God has designed building his kingdom, through the lips of those who know him. And many times when we think about, I'm not going to dive into this big time, but when we think about missions and it's a man-centered, our mind automatically goes to, and what about the little guy who's born in the Himalayas, who hasn't heard the gospel, right? That's, a, that's not a bad thing to think, but it's a man-centered way of viewing things. 
It's not fair, right? That's where our compassion is. Our heart's there. And our mind begins to go there. So let me ask you this. Have we ever considered the privilege we have to be born in a place and live in a place where we hear the gospel preached? That we've had the opportunity to hear and receive and believe in the Lord Jesus. How privileged we are to have an oversaturation of the gospel being preached. Because there are people who are born in places that the gospel has not reached there. And I can't tell you why you were born here and why they were born there, but I can tell you what our responsibility is because we've heard the gospel. And it's to get the gospel to them. And God will get the gospel to them. But I want to hear you want here, here we go. Think about maybe somebody else who's born, or maybe you. Maybe we weren't born here, we are born somewhere else. And maybe we've never heard the gospel. And we would die and go to hell and listen to me. And God would be just. Because when it comes to heaven and hell, sin and righteousness, man is not the victim. God is. We've sinned against him. We've stole glory that he alone is due. Right? God would be perfectly just and not offering salvation to anyone. That's a hard truth of the holiness of God. However, we have the responsibility because we have heard the good news to go and spread the gospel across the face of the earth and join with the psalmist and say, praise the Lord, all you nations. People don't die and go to hell because they never had a chance to hear the gospel. People die and go to hell because they're sinful and they're separated from God. But you and I as a church have the great responsibility and the privilege to be bearers of the news that redeems mankind. There's a necessity for sharing the gospel. Romans chapter 15, Paul actually quotes Psalm 117. It's pretty cool. Everybody with me? Everybody going, man, Justin, you're harsh. I do not apologize, but this is something we need to sit in. Like that's a, that's a hard reality that we have to marinate in. Romans 15, verses 8 through 11, this is beautiful. You see, one, you see 117 all the way through, but he quotes it specifically. But in Romans 15, verse 8, it says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So that's awesome, right? So Christ came to be a servant to the circumcised, which means to the Jews, to Israel. But it doesn't end there. It says, and in order that the Gentiles, the word Gentiles literally it could be translated nations, so that the nations might glorify God for his mercy. And then he quotes uh, Psalm 18, and he says, As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles to sing to your name. Verse 10, he quotes Deuteronomy. He says, again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Then verse 11, uh, we read here, Praise the Lord, all you nations, all you 
Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. He quotes Psalm 117 there. That is why we're involved in missions. What, what Romans 15 teaches us is that the church is the fulfillment of Psalm 117, that God, through the church and the preaching of the gospel, that the nations are hearing and being grafted in. Psalm 117, as I'm saying, should give fuel for our mission, just to, to praise the Lord. Not merely, I heard one guy say it this week, that missions is not nearly just about getting, merely getting man out of hell into heaven, but to get praise out of man into heaven. Uh, John Piper says it like this. Luke would be proud of me. I brought a book on here, and I'm going to show it to you. Uh, but in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, uh, this whole book is written, this lens in which I'm preaching Psalm 117. Uh, this morning, but this is how he starts his book. And so here, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Say, what, Justin? Is he a heretic? Just follow Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. Is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. Its goal is the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. Worship is the fuel for our missions. We go so that God will receive the glory that He alone is due. We want our God to be worshipped. Amen? That's the main motivation in going is we want our God to be worshipped because he alone is due that worship. We go for the glory of the Lord, not simply because of the need, which is a great reason to go, but for the glory of the Lord. That is why we give to missions. That is why we go on missions. That's why we pray every Sunday towards God's mission. That's why we commit to God's mission because we want God to be glorified throughout the whole world. So we see there's a call to praise. Praise him, praise the Lord, all you nations, extol him, all peoples. And then verse 2 gives us the cause, the reasons for praise. There, Praise has its reasons, amen? Like the Lord, even if he just told us to praise him, that's enough to praise him, but he's been good, so he's, there's, a, there's a reason in which we praise, not just because he says to, because because who he is. There's a cause. Praise has its reasons. We see that in verse 2. It says this, For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Why praise him? For his love and for his faithfulness or truth. I'm going to break those down, but here's the picture of Psalm 117. The psalmist, which we don't know who it is, uh, combines God's, two of God's attributes, love and truth or love and faithfulness. And you think about all the attributes of God, right? Life, love, light, righteous, great. Like, think about his, all of his attributes. Do you know the most two combined attributes throughout the whole Bible is love and truth? Over 200 times in the Old Testament that we see it, but here's just a few of them in Psalm. Psalm 25:10. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness or truth. 
for those who keep his covenant as testimonies. Psalm 57.10, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Psalm 85.10, the steadfast love and the faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Psalm 108.4-5, your steadfast love is great above the heavens, your faithfulness reaches the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. What 117 teaches us is that those two attributes just stirred the passion of our heart to worship him this morning. His love and his faithfulness should stir deep within us to praise the name of the Lord. When's the last time you've been stirred when you think about the love of the Lord that he's given you and had for you? When's the last time you've thought about his faithfulness and it stirred you to praise his name? That's the goal of Psalm 117. Matter of fact, it's really cool. I'm going to get ahead of myself. But first he tells the nations to praise the Lord, to extol his name. Then he talks about his love. He talks about his faithfulness. And then, then the psalmist says, praise the Lord. He's telling everybody else to praise it. And he got to thinking about God's love and his faithfulness, and he praised the Lord. That's the, that's the goal when we begin to think about God's love and his faithfulness, that it would lead us to a place of praising him. There are two reasons, there are two attributes that we see here that should stir our hearts this morning. First one, it is his love. We see his, for great, oh man, there's a bunch of ways he describes, for great is his steadfast love, his unchanging love, his, his loving kindness, yours may read, the steadfast love toward us. So the first reason to praise the Lord is his love. This word here uh, in the, in the, in, in, uh, the Old Testament is used 250 times in the Old Testament, and it's, the, it's equivalent to the, the New Testament word agape, this loving kindness that the Lord has, uh, has, has shown upon us or poured out over us. And there are attributes to even his love that we see in this text and through Scripture. First of all, I want you to notice something. And, and there's the distinction about his great love in which the psalmist is, is basking in, if it was just for Great is his steadfast love toward us. That we understand that this love of God is a special type of love for those who know him. Right? Obviously, we understand that God loves all people, right? Yeah. Never any, Nothing I preach, and I will never want you to hear me say that God only loves some people. God loves all people. But those who are his, he loves even more. Like, I can walk into that nursery over there, and I can love all those kids. But there are three of them that have the last name Holofield, and I love them more than any other kid in there, I promise you. No matter how cute your kid is, no matter how, how great they are, they do not compare to me, to Evie, Emma, and Red. I'm going to love them more than I love all the others. Why? Because they're mine. They share my name. They've got my blood in them, if you will. And that's how it is in God's relationship with his church is that, yes, he loves the whole world, but there's a special love for those whom his son died to purchase. Matter of fact, Ephesians says that there's a great inheritance that he has in us, which I don't know. I don't get that, right? Like I get, uh, like I get what I get out of the deal when coming to know Jesus, but I don't get what he gets out of the deal. But there's a great inheritance that he has within us. There's a special type of love that we are his. It's a choosing love. He, he chose us. We didn't choose him. It's, it's unconditional. This love that he has for us is an unconditional type of love, which means it's not based on the qualities of the one that's being loved. He loves simply because he chooses to love. It's unconditional. 
We see it perfectly in Deuteronomy when, he talk, when he's talking about Israel. In chapter, six, chapter 7, verse 6, it says, For you are, are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. That sounds great, right? Like Israel's probably thinking, yeah, I know. But check out what he says. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh the king. Why did he choose Israel? Just because he set his love on them. Nothing to do with them. And you and I, listen to me, the love that we've experienced to know God is not because we have some qualities in which we've made ourselves lovable or even likable. It was because he is love and he chose to love us. This love that we're thinking about and stirring, we understand that in our life there is full of love that we have to earn, that we have to maintain, that we have to keep, that we have to make sure we cultivate. But the love that God the Father has for us, his children, is not something that we, we work to maintain or earn. It's not something we can lose because it is unconditional because he has set his love upon us and we did nothing to deserve it. Man, that's just stir worship in our hearts, y'all. It's unconditional. It's great. He says that. He says, for great is his steadfast love. This word great here is large, remarkable, superior. And literally, it's the same. Like, you know, in, in the Old Testament, whenever uh, Moses was leading Israel out, and I don't remember who they were fighting, but they went up on top of the hill, and he raised his hand. And as long as his hands were up, Israel would, would prevail. And then if his hands got down, then Aaron and Hur would get on each side and hold his hands. And as, as long as his hands were up, Israel would continue to win. It actually uses the word prevail there. It's the same exact word that he uses here for great. It's prevail. Is that it's a prevailing love. It's a conquering love. It's the same word that whenever the flood came and the, and the, and the floods covered the earth, or prevailed over the earth, or, or swallowed up the earth, overthrew the earth. It's the same exact word here is that the, the great, the conquering, the victorious love of God. <laughs> this love is, is, is special. It's unconditional. It's great. It's conquering. It's triumphant. It's victorious. It will prevail in the hearts of those who know him. It's overwhelming. Do you know this love? It's steadfast. It says, great is his steadfast love. It's not just love, but it's, it's ever strong. It's never fainting or fizzling. It's never te- temperamental. It's steadfast, and it's eternal. Isaiah 54, 8 says it's an everlasting love. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 8. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? I'm convinced that life, nor death, nor angels, principalities, nothing, life or death, can separate us from the love of God. It's eternal. Why do we praise him for his love? His love. Secondly, quickly it says, for the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Or yours is the truth. He is the attribute that he is, he's truth. That his, what is that? And I think ultimately, if we fast forward to the right side of 117, is that it's his covenant he's made through the gospel. The work of his son, the new covenant, that he is, he is faithful to it. 
It endures forever that the covenant he's made with you and I who have placed our faith in him through his son, there's a, it endures forever. His truth endures forever. He is forever faithful and forever true. Praise him. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him. Why? For his steadfast love and his faithfulness and his truth. And I love how it ends. The psalmist can't contain himself. He just says, praise the Lord. Right? You ever been so overwhelmed thinking about God's love and his faithfulness that you can just say, praise the Lord? That's where the I think that's where the psalmist is finding himself right here. Starts with thinking about nations and all of a sudden, man, God's been good. Praise the Lord. He's been good to me. Praise the Lord. And that's the picture of this text, and that's what I hope our heart is this morning, is as we walk through this, we think about the God's love and his faithfulness, that it stirs us to praise him. That in just a moment, Luke and JJ and John Ryan and Jenny, Jenny, I didn't go mind blank on your name this morning, uh, a couple of weeks ago when they were doing Lord's Supper, and I said, John Ryan, and it's because I just lost her name. But anyway, uh, I got you this morning. I didn't forget it. Uh, when they come up, we're going to sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I hope that whenever we walk through this, we're literally thinking about His faithfulness. We're saying, Great is your faithfulness. Praise the Lord. Like, we're not just coming up here just to sing a song to fill time, but I'm hoping that the Word moves us, that the, it, it stirs our hearts to, to praise Him for His love and His faithfulness. So take-homes from this text, and I'm done. I'm going to pray and they're going to come up and lead us is we go, we share the good news, yes, because we love people. We don't want people to be eternally separated from the God who loves them. But we go ultimately so that he will receive the praise from all peoples. And we praise him because we've experienced his love and his faithfulness. I hope that those things that we talk about often this morning that the Lord you think about how he's loved you and how he has been faithful to you, and it stirs us to respond in praise. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for an opportunity to gather this morning and sit under your word. God, we thank you for this short little psalm that's only two verses long, and I'm sure some people thought they were getting out early today, but God, we thank you for your word, that we can sit there and just marinate in it. God, we pray now, God, as we, as we talk about missions often in the church and we pray for it, God, that as we pray through it now, God, you'll, you'll burn it in our hearts to, to share the good news here, everywhere. And we will say, praise the Lord, all you nations, for he, his steadfast love and his faithfulness endure forever. God, we pray during this time and as we let your word penetrate our hearts. God, if we haven't experienced this love, we don't know this love, God, I pray that today that you would draw someone by your love to confess their sins, to believe in the Lord Jesus. God, for the believer in here who maybe has been lukewarm or just apathetic. God, I pray that your love and kindness, even in their disobedience, 
that they would see how you've been patient and steadfast. God, that your love would draw them back today. That they would confess of that apathy, they would confess of their sins, and they would praise the Lord because you're good and worthy of it. And may as we sing this song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, may it come from a place of a heart that is overwhelmed by that love, by overwhelmed by that faithfulness as we sing these, these words. Father, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray.